Our scripture reading today is Genesis chapter 16, verse 1 through 16. Our sermon message today is entitled, The Gospel According to Abraham, The Lord Hears. This is the word of God, Genesis chapter 16, verse 1 through 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you, I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her. And she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I've seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Beher Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Good morning, everyone. One more time. Good morning, everyone. I know you have masks on, it's okay. But I also want you to know that we still worship together as brothers and sisters 
in Christ. We are here before the Lord asking him, beseeching him, Lord, show me who you are. Lord, tell me about your grace and your mercy. Show me why you created me and show me the purpose of this life that you have given me. The span of however many years you have deemed worthy of me. We come to acknowledge that God and God alone is the one worthy of all praise and all honor. As we continue our series on the gospel according to Abraham, I hope that you have come to see that the Bible is not simply a book of laws or a book of morals. The Bible is a very unique and special book amongst all the other Bibles or scriptures in the many religions of this world. For you see, if you read the Bible and you read it well, you will see that humanity is not front and center. In fact, as you read the Bible, you will see the fallenness of humanity, the silliness of humanity, and yes, even the hubris. When we look and hear about people like Moses and Abraham, David, when we hear about even people like Paul and Timothy, or even the prophets like Isaac, Isaiah, Elijah, Jeremiah, we think of these people and we hold them in high regard because we hear and understand only the stories that we remember. But if you read the Bible carefully, you will see that all of these people are fallen creatures. And in the backdrop of seeing the fallenness of humanity, comes to the forefront, God himself. We see that the Bible is about God's grace and God's mercy. In light of the creatures, the, the people that he has created, we see that Abraham, Moses, all of these figures, great figures in Scripture, that without the grace of God, without God's intervention in their lives, that they would have been lost forever. I implore all of you here today, if you're curious about Christianity, if you're curious especially about who Jesus is, you must read the Bible and not read your conceptions of the Bible. You must read the Bible in a way that is different from reading the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, different from other holy books, from other holy traditions. And I dare say, if you read scripture on its own terms, you will see a God that is very, very different from your own ideas and from even what's projected in the world around us. This is a God who loves and a God who saves. This is a God who long suffers for his people. This is a God who died for us. And this is a God who eternally intercedes on behalf of you.
if you're searching for Jesus, if you're searching for whether or not this faith makes sense, the only thing you have to do is you need to read God's word. I still remember in college, a good friend of mine, he, he fellow physics major, and so we, we'd always talk about God together and, and science, and, and our professors would just tear out their, you know, their hair, like, well, what does God have to do with science? Anyway, we were talking to one of our classmates, and my friend challenged him and said, listen, January break is coming. I want you to read the Bible. If you read the Bible, I'll read any book that you want me to read. Oh, my goodness. Well, what, what a challenge, right? And so my friend, the, the, the other guy, accepted the challenge. And he looked around, and he found his sociology book, Durkheim, Suicide. He said, you read this, not this thick, and I'll read your Bible. And so January passed. And my friend, my friend read 350 pages of Durkheim. If you know anything about Durkheim, it's not pleasant reading. But he was prepared to, to talk about sociology, about suicide. Unfortunately, that other person didn't read the scriptures. I wasn't mad. He wasn't mad. How can you be mad? But we were saddened. Because we wanted him to encounter who Jesus was. And at the very least, have a conversation about who Jesus was or is in Scripture. For all of you here today, I ask you to, to, to embark in that challenge. You don't have to read the whole. I wish you could read the whole Bible. But if you know someone, say, hey, read the Gospel of John. Or read the New Testament with me. You read that, and I'll read anything that you want me to read. Is there a, a, a book that you enjoy that has really changed your life? I'll read that book. And let's talk about the Jesus of Scripture. And we'll talk about what touches your heart as well. This is a, a, an exhortation, not only for those of you who are seeking the Lord, but this is an exhortation to you who know the Lord as well. We are not to reinterpret Scripture according to our present-day experiences. We are not to, to use a, a Star Wars and Marvel term. We're not to retcon the Bible for our own purposes. But we are to go and read Scripture and let Scripture change us. Scripture is Scripture because it does have authority over us. Scripture would not be Scripture if it was simply just a book for us to peruse. And you will find that the Bible is full of stories, full of extraordinary, extraordinarily normal people who God has called to himself. 
this story is like that. I had texted or Kakao talked the, the parents saying, listen, this sermon's going to be a little bit PG today. And so because of that, the, the parents, if you would like your children to, to uh, go to children's church or have a children's message today, um, please allow them to go. But this is what scripture is. And in fact, I hope that when you hear the explanation of what's happening here, I hope that it would shock you. So what's happening? Sarah was getting impatient. She knew that God had promised that she would bore, bear a child. She knew that, but she was getting impatient. And in her impatience, she said to her, 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 her husband, and we'll call him Abraham. It's Abram right now, but later his name is changed to Abraham. Sarah, her name will be changed to Sarah. Sarah, so I'll say just Sarah and Abraham. So let's say, Abraham, look, take my servant, Hagar. Let her bear a child. Maybe I can have a family through her. And if you read this in the English, the English sort of tames it. But if you read it in the original language, in Hebrew, it's actually kind of a salacious picture. The picture that we have here is that what Sarah said, what Sarah did is what Sarah took Hagar and shoved Hagar basically to his legs, between his legs. The picture we have here is that I am going to make you sleep with this woman. And I want you through her to bear a child. And Abram did it without questioning. This is terrible. Now she, she conceives of a child. And Sarah, instead of being joyous of like, this is what I told you to do, she becomes angry. There's a look in Hagar's eye of contempt for Sarah. And Sarah shares that same contempt for Hagar as well. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but you, but you could imagine in this, in this culture, in this, in this day, Hagar probably started to, to really disrespect Sarah, perhaps looking her in the eye, perhaps not obeying orders, perhaps walking where she shouldn't be walking. And Sarah goes to Abraham and says, this is your fault. What am I to do? And Abraham says, go, take her, and, and do with her as you like. Again, Abraham does another cowardly thing. In giving her over to Sarah, the, the words that are used there are, are, are the same words that we see, that is used of the Egyptians taking care of the Israelites. 
And most likely what, what happened, what, what some scholars believe happened was that Hagar was not like a, a maidservant, not like a nanny, but Hagar was a slave, property, just like the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites, property. And most likely, Sarah probably beat Hagar because of this. This is not a pleasant picture. All of these people, Abraham, Sarah, and even Hagar, none of them come out looking good. And when we as modern people, we read this, I hope that you feel disgust. I hope so. I hope that this culture hasn't changed so much that when you read this story, you don't simply say, eh, it happens. but that you would read this story and say, this is not the way the world should work. And yes, even in this passage, there is no sort of, uh, you know, a little blur where God says, Abraham, you did this wrong. Sarah, you did this wrong. Hagar, you did this wrong. But simply the consequences of what happens that dictates that God was displeased with what had occurred. And when you read this, I dare say you have to ask the question, how does God put up with these people? Why does God put up with these people? And what we see here is again a picture that it's not about Abraham or Sarah or Hagar. It's about God's grace and mercy and presence within the mess of humanity and within even in the mess of his plan to bring salvation to people. I wouldn't choose these people. Think about it. We're a church. Are these the people you want in your church? Let me tell you, these are people we have in our church. Let me back up before I get into that. Point number one here. We see that Sarah herself took into her own hands the promises of God. And instead of allowing God to bring those promises into fruition, Sarah, in her distrust, found another way to bring about that promise. This was the mistake number one. Now, this is found all over in the Old Testament. And in fact, if you, if you read it well, you'll see that a lot of people in the Old Testament do this. You're like, hello, hello, wake up. Isn't this obvious? You saw God face to face, Abraham. 
God promised you. You saw him. And yet, you can't allow me to do my work according to my wisdom. We saw the same thing with, 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 uh, with Isaac and Rebecca. Rebecca knew she was going to have twins, Esau and Jacob. And God said to her, the younger will serve, sorry, the older will serve the younger. Jacob will be the greater of the two. The younger son will be the greater one. Before they were born. And then you read and all you see is, 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 is Rebecca scheming with Jacob to, to ensure that, to steal the birthright, right? to steal his inheritance. And you're like, what are you doing? God has promised you all of this. Why are you trying to enact God's promises by your own way? Now, listen, even in this passage, what Sarah is doing is actually normal in ancient Near Eastern times. It's actually normal if you were barren to find a surrogate to birth you a child. And you would take that child, and they would be the ones who would carry on the lineage. It was perfectly normal. But what she did was that she did not trust that God would fulfill what he said. And yet God still is in the midst of that. Now, before we condemn these people, what we see is the fact that this is a mirror of who we are as well. Is it not? For those of you who know Jesus, Jesus has promised you what? Everlasting life. Jesus has promised you what? To be with you. Jesus has promised, promised you what? Peace. Jesus has said to you, listen, that the gifts that I give you I give for the sake of the kingdom, and I give for you to love people. You know it. But we are just as careless and untrusting that God will bring about his promises today. You see, this book is not about you and your faithfulness, you and your ability to love God. It's about God's pursuit of a people, whether it's Abraham and Sarah, whether it's us, to pursue today. Second thing we see here, there's many, many different parts of this passage that we could go deeply in, but there's only three things I really want to talk about. And the second thing is, is to see that Sarah was, was barren. And it's wonderful to know that in the age that we live in, what I mean by that is in the age of Christ, that we understand that having children does not define a woman. We can go and look at this, and many feminist scholars have looked at this and have lambasted the, the Old Testament, saying, look at how backwards it is. 
that the worth of a woman is simply about how many child, children that they can bear. Today, we understand that every person, every woman has dignity in the Lord. And every woman married or single with children, without children, that they are blessed by God because our children that we have is no longer children from our, our human flesh, but it's the spiritual children born by the Holy Spirit. When God adds to his number, we have brothers and sisters in Christ. When we have sons and daughters in Christ to raise in the fear of the Lord. But there's, there's a principle here to understand. We can't just look at this and go, well, thanks you, Jesus, you solved this. That culture back then was, was backwards. <laughs> having children, that's, that's not defined me as a woman, having children. But barrenness, we need to look at the extension of that meaning. We see that Sarah herself, because she was barren, led to a lot of confusion, a lot of guilt. And in the end, she fell into sin. Got a distraught. I need to have a child. I need to have someone to have a child for me to be worthwhile. Things have not changed in this world. It's just barrenness is different now. Now we as men and as women, we, we find our worth perhaps not in finding children, but we need to look good. I need to look good. I need to have wealth or something to sustain me. I don't want to be looked at by the people around me and say, look, you're barren. You don't have anything. I want people to look at me and say, you are worthy. We look at that culture and we say, that's, that's backwards. Brothers and sisters, it's no different today. We are people who have been called by God, have been made full. We are not worthless. We are not barren. We do not look to fill our lives with things to prove that I am a woman or to prove that I am a man. Your worth comes in being known by the Lord himself. Thirdly and lastly, we see that the, the Lord himself heard the cries of Hagar. And we know and we see that when the child was born, they called him Ishmael, which simply means he hears or he will hear in the Hebrew. And when you look at the story, you ask yourself, and I ask myself, if God was not here, if 
someone did not relate this story, and if, if Moses himself did not write this story down, no one would have known about this. No one. It would have just been caught in the ether and disappeared. But God listened and God heard. God acted. And because God listened and God heard and God acted, God was involved. The story was written down. The fact that God listened, God heard, God acted means that God was invested in these people. But it also begs the question, how is it that he was able to be invested in, this, in these people? Why? Because God is holy. God is not and should not. This is, this is our God worship. We, he should not have, he should not have to deal with evil on a merciful basis. He should deal with evil injustice by judgment. That's what we want. We want a God of justice. And so on what grounds is God able to enter into their lives? On what grounds is God able to enter into your life? God can hear your cries to him. God can hear Abraham's cry to him. Hagar's cry to him. Why? Because on the cross, when Jesus hung on the cross, God ignored his son. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken him, forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22. God had ignored his son who asked for help. He should have ignored us. He should have ignored you. He should have ignored Abraham, Sarah, Hagar. He shouldn't have listened to any of us. But out of his great love, he ignored his son, who became sin and evil for us. We should have been the ones who were punished. We did what was wrong. But Jesus was punished for our sake. And God hears our prayers and hears our hearts. Because Jesus lived that perfect life for us and has given us that righteousness that allows us to cry out to God and say, God, look, here's... Jesus' righteousness, you need to listen to me. We can talk. And he does so. I know there are many people here who are wrestling with lots of different things. And you read this story and you go, can it get worse? And the answer is yes. And we've seen it. You've seen it. 
But let me tell you, God loves you. There is hope in the midst of whatever you're going through. God will not ignore you. God will not, has not ignored Abraham, not ignored Sarah. I mean, Ishmael, I mean, why would God even, I mean, he has no righteousness. He was a wild donkey of a man. He caused trouble everywhere. God still listens. So I implore you, whatever your circumstances may be, whatever difficulties you see, whatever difficulties you see in in the people around you, go to God. He's still there. He's still working in his people. My prayers are for all of you. And I pray that your prayers are for everyone here as well. Let nothing surprise you except God's grace, God's mercy, and God's love. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, there indeed is no one like you. Lord, we are Abraham. We are Sarah. We are Hagar. We are Ishmael. We are like Abraham in the sense that we we abdicate our roles as as husbands or abdicate our roles just as your people. We are Sarah in the sense that we are completely lost. We, we believe in your promises, but the life is getting really hard. We try to do things our own way, looking for meaning in, well, as they say, all, in all the wrong places. And we're like Hagar too. We've been sinned against. And we're like Ishmael. But Lord, even in the midst of this mess, you reign and you reign supreme. And our hope is in you. For we know, Lord, that even in the midst of all this, you are present and that your will is being done. So Lord, I I pray for our congregation, for all these people here. Pray for those, Lord, who are still seeking to find you, that you will find them. That scripture would make sense, that the love of Jesus, Lord, would plunge the depths of their hearts, that they would see, Lord, that your love is infinite and divine. Pray for all of us, Lord, especially those of us who profess your name. There are so many things going on in our lives. COVID has not helped. Many of us have been looking for meaning in in all the wrong places, looking for meaning in relationships, looking for meaning in food, looking for meaning just about anything, Lord God, but not submitting to you. Lord, you're still with us. You still haven't given up on us. So, Lord, I, I pray for us, Lord God, that we would once again behold your beauty and be taken in, that we would behold your beauty and that the things of this world would indeed fade, 
that we would behold your beauty and count as unworthy, Lord, the things that this world tells us, defines us, that we would behold your beauty, that we may sing for joy for you. Jesus, we love you. We look upon the cross, and where others see death, we see life. We look upon the cross, where others see hopelessness, we see the only hope. We look upon the cross, where others see weakness, we see nothing but strength and love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.